0: Alrighty, welcome to the Celtics Lab podcast brought to you by FanTool, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLMS Media Network. I'm Cameron Ticketboy, I'm Dr. Justin Wynn. I'm also joined by Alex Goldberg, who is calling in live from the Royale because his band, Divine Sweater, who provides our music that you just heard at the top, has a show there tonight. Alex is dialed in in a cool shirt for the YouTube crowd and the green room. He's going to be with us as long as he can, but he's going to go be a rock star, so. Alex, in advance, says thank you for cutting him loose early. But with respect to Alex, uh, the star of the show tonight is Drew Carter, the new voice of the Boston Celtics over at NBC Sports Boston. He's going to stop by in the second half of the program and the lab portion of the program to talk about his experience joining the Celtics community, his experience broadcasting. And I've gotten to know him a teeny tiny bit. Personally, he's, he's a cool guy. So we're pumped to have Drew. Alex, Justin, how are you?
1: Doing well, Cam. I'm here in the green room. Uh, Divine Sweater opens for drama tonight at Royale. We're feeling good. We're feeling great. Very excited to be back in Boston, even if it's only for the night. Uh, And uh, listened on the radio to an emphatic Celtics win that we're going to talk about in just a minute.
2: Just got back from NBA Mexico. Got some cool stuff I can tell you guys about in a little bit. But I just wanted to say that with, you know, Alex doing the rock star thing, you doing the teacher thing, and and me being here in, you know, some other country, we're the Buckaroo Bonsai podcast. If you don't know what Buckaroo Bonsai is, it's a terrible movie with Peter Weller as the star from the 1980s. I highly recommend you watch it. It's terrible, terrible television.
0: I like the sound of it. I've never seen it, but I like the sound of it. All right. Welcome to the Buckaroo Bonsai podcast. I'm your host, Cameron topt Okay, so... Drew Carter on deck, second half of the program, first half of the program. Let's do the news. And Alex, you're right. The, Zelt- the news is the Celtics beat the pants off of the Knicks last night after beating the pants off of Toronto Saturday night, after beating the pants off of Brooklyn the night before that, and also some losses uh, in recent memory. So we can talk about that Knicks game uh, or any of these other games, but the bigger picture is Boston's eight and two on the season. The two losses came to Minneapolis and Philly, both on the, ho- on the road. Um, so Alex, you can dial in on one game, one quarter, or you can go pick big picture, but I'll go to you first. How are you feeling about the eight and two Boston Celtics?
1: I'm feeling pretty good about the eight and two Boston Celtics. I think that, um, they're definitely showing some positive early signs, particularly the play of the starters. Um, Jason Tatum and Kristaps Porzingis, of course, stand out as the kind of big highlights from that group. Um, but off the bench, uh, one thing that I've been keeping my eye on is the spectacular shooting of Sam Hauser, uh, who has been really rolling for about three games straight now. Um, Obviously, the tricky part is that Boston lost arguably its two biggest, most challenging games of the year uh, on the road against Minnesota, who is playing outstanding basketball right now, and Philly with the superstar Tyrese Maxey. Um, But overall, there's really not much to complain about. Both of those games were really competitive. Sometimes you lose competitive games. It is what it is. Uh, And as long as the Celtics uh, continue to build on the good habits that they've shown early this season, in particular, I think uh, I'm also noticing that Joe Missoula seems a lot more comfortable. Um, I'm I'm feeling pretty good.
2: I like some of the ways that you were putting that, Uh, the building good habits in particular, because I do want to talk about something that's big picture, and I'm going to do it in a way that accentuates good and bad, and that is mainly the chemistry we are seeing between Kristaps Porzingis and Jalen Brown, but also when that is not happening, oftentimes we are getting what I have online called bad decisions Brown. And this is not me saying that this is who Jalen is. Do not take that from me using that moniker. This is who Jalen is for about 30 seconds here, 15 seconds there, and in ways that we were talking off air that we think that theoretically he should be able to see coming. Like you see three defenders in the lane. Don't dribble towards them. Right. But other things, maybe they're happening fast enough where particularly where his role is kind of in question on this team with the the big roster shakeup where you're kind of seeing a bit more of that than you saw at the end of last season. And that may be a product of that. So I'm actually hoping that they continue to really dig into this chemistry they're finding with Chris because they both seem to enjoy playing together. It's working really well. And, you know, as much as we, much as I said that this team hadn't played any good teams yet last time we talked about like the state of the Celtics. They also haven't played too many bad teams, right? Most of yeah. these teams have been playoff-ish, if not playoff teams. So I'm pretty happy where we at where we're at too.
1: Just one quick note on the Porzingis Brown chemistry. I completely agree, Justin. I think they need to lean into that more. And I think come playoff time, I'm really hoping they will have developed something even more substantial there because. Having Jalen Brown and Kristaps Porzingis doing pick and roll actions with Jason Tatum as a weak side guy who can kill any one-on-one matchup he wants at any given time seems to be a really potent offensive blend, particularly if you can surround them with defenders and shooters. So from a process standpoint, I think there's going to be some bumps early, particularly because that's going to require Jalen to evolve as a decision maker. But if come playoff time, that is starting to hum, that's going to be a real problem for a lot of teams.
0: I'd say the two takeaways, I'm curious about the theory that they haven't played good teams because I I think I subscribe to it. But the two takeaways for me and (laughs) for the YouTube crowd, I keep looking down because there's cats everywhere. Um, We're the most cat-friendly podcast in the the Celtics game, I think. Um, The rebounding has been outstanding. Drew Holiday's averaging seven rebounds a game. Jason Tatum is leading the team in rebounding, and it's not I mean, I think it is scheme, but guys are just, like, really crashing the boards emphatically. I mean, there's no one on the Celtics other than Pritchard who is not a plus athletic body, not fast, not strong. Um, And so it's individual effort, but, like, there's no reason why it's not sustainable, and it's probably overblown. I mean, winning the rebounding battle only tells you so much about An evening because it really depends on how people shot i think but the effort is so visible and obvious and i I think really different and it pairs with boston's post play that they are actively using post-ups and joe missoula it kind of went unnoticed last night um he explained yeah actually it's a good way for us to settle down on offense he said it's a good option for us to have on offense and so many times last year, we were like, hey, Joe, what if there was another part of the offense that they could go to? And he would uh, reject that categorically. And now he's openly admitting that having a second and third gear on offense might be valuable. And it looks like the second or third gear for this other is really good. That Porzingis, you know, has issues defending the rim, but by and large, can there are there a few people who can stop him with his back to the basket. Jason Tatum's post game, uh, I think, has already been covered uh, pretty well, but it's pretty damn good. And even drew holiday kind of like uh, Dwayne Wade back in the day, like he'll, f- he'll start the offense kind of backing someone down and like uh, just the geography of the floor is so unique for what we've come to expect for the Celtics recently. So I think that they're really cool trends. I think they're sustainable. I'm going to bring back the theory that they haven't played any good teams because Justin, I-, I actually think that the Knicks and the Raptors and the Nets are way worse than uh, we imagine. I they might still be 500 teams because the Eastern Conference is bad, but... Uh, the Knicks, I disagree. The other teams, I, I think you're right.
1: The Knicks without R.J. Barrett are not a very good team. R.J. Barrett has been a huge part of why they've been decent this year.
0: I'm just... I don't, I don't know, maybe because I spent all evening talking to friend of the podcast, Jack Simone, and friend of the podcast, podcast Bobby Kravitsky, about this. Julius Randle is just a bull in a china shop on this team. It just doesn't make any sense anymore. I, I remember seeing a tweet I couldn't find it Julius Randle looks like he plays basketball in jeans. It just it doesn't fit. Um so I don't think that they're a bad team. I think they are doing the right things. They're well coached. They're reasonably balanced, but uh, they're kind of similar to Minnesota. There's just like a guy who needs a lot of touches who doesn't necessarily work. Um
2: I think Minnesota's good. I just I, I think Minnesota's great. I think this is okay, great. Okay.
0: But I think I mean if, if you swapped Cat and Randall, I'm curious what that looks like. Um, <laughs> uh, well, f- for money, pur- for money purposes, but then also, I don't, whatever. This, I don't, this is I don't neither want... the Nick Slab yeah. podcast nor the Wolf Slab <laughs> podcast. Well, we'll talk to Drew about that. He's a big Wolves fan. Actually, I'm going to start with that. Maybe. Um, no, I think Minnesota's good. I think Philly's good. They're both playing for something. they they were both at home. I just uh, it's. Uh, Unbelievably, we're already an eighth of the way into the season, but I don't think we have real data. Um, I don't know. I, I've said this before. I, I probably said this at this point last season. I haven't yet been explained by someone smart when NBA data becomes statistically significant. Hmm. I feel like I've gotten a bunch of different answers. I've never been Never been made clear to me. I usually just wait till Christmas. But if you're out there and you're smart, please tell me the answer to that question because I don't know okay i want to pause the action here and tell you that you can score early this nfl season with fanduel america's number one sports book right now new customers get 150 dollars in bonus bets with any winning five dollar money line bet that's 150 bucks if your team wins if you've been thinking about joining fanduel there's no better time to get in on the action the app is super easy to use there's a wide range of betting options and you can take a look at things like spreads player props over unders and more so Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. You must be 21 and older and present in Massachusetts. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money in line wager is required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonuses are issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Hope is here. Gambling help line ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 7 support play it smart from the start go to gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234 okay back to the action okay so <laughs> let's keep talking about the Celtics but who knows if the data matters uh Alex where you at with the bench uh we talked about Hauser Hauser's yeah. been quite good his defense has been quite good the rest of the bench has seen limited action. I mean, there's been a few blowouts, so probably the the minutes data is inconsistent. Um, but where are you at with the bench?
1: Um, where I'm at with the bench is this. Um, I think if Hauser is capable of being a actual rotation seventh man type of guy, then we're going to be totally fine. Um, I think that they can tinker on the margins here and there. Um, I have some thoughts about some guys that they can go after with that Grant Williams TPE. But ultimately... You really need, if you want to be successful in the playoffs in the modern NBA, you need seven guys who you can rely on every single night. And if Horford and Hauser are going to be the guys that can come off the bench and just be reliable in their roles, I think that's totally fine for making a legitimate championship run. I personally would like to see a little bit more out of Peyton Pritchard and out of some of the other uh, bench wings in particular and I am always nervous about uh, the big man spot given Porzingis' lengthy injury history and Albert's age. Um, but so far, while I think there have been some dicey minutes, particularly from Pritchard and Cornette, when it does matter, um, Joe Missoula can pull them pretty easily and get the guys in that will need to win the game. Um, and if they give you anything extra in terms of quality play, like Peyton Pritchard was good the other night. Luke Cornette has had games where he's looked Okay. Um, if you can get anything out of those guys, I'm counting that as a win, provided that Hauser continues to be a reliable first or second guy off the bench. Um, if Hauser's shot starts to fall off, then the Celtics might have to get a little bit more aggressive about really shoring up that bench. And the other thing that I would look to is that in you know, 2019, when the Toronto Raptors won the title, a big part of why they won that title is because they made a deadline move for Mark Gasol and shook up their bench a little bit in doing so. I am um, pretty firmly of the belief that if Sam Hauser is not going to be your seventh guy, clear cut by the deadline, then you've got to get aggressive and find that seventh guy right away. But as long as you have seven, that can that to me that's the magic number. As long as you have that come playoff time, I think that's totally fine.
2: I agree completely. Uh, I think actually, you were kind of dancing around it earlier when you were talking about the TPE. There are some some teams <laughs> Chicago, <laughs> that could maybe be uh, breaking up their roster soon, or at least making some changes. And Alex Caruso would be an interesting target, I think, uh, who could really shore up a lot of what this team lacks in terms of cutting, in terms of defense, in terms of ball distribution. There are some more proven players who are going to become available after December fifteenth onwards, when when players who signed over the summer start to become available for trade. Uh, that I think would be really interesting options to explore if the, the players who are on the team don't look consistent. Like I love what Luke's been doing. Luke has made me eat my words about how he hasn't been enough, uh, even for really for the regular season. Uh, several times since the last time I think I said that and that's great but he's not consistent and we need with Hauser with all of these bench guys consistency I'm a little worried about um, Al Horford's start uh, in terms of offense but I think he's going to come around the defense has been fine uh, I want to see more Lamar Stevens for that reason uh, the bench is fine but it needs lots of time to play and lots of time to make mistakes so we can see what there is. Because as you said, they have to find consistency.
0: I disagree. I think the bench stinks. Um, I think it's, I think it's a huge problem. Let me take it in order. Horford I didn't say not...
2: it didn't. I just said they
0: need to find so, out what they have. A- Alex, your theory that they have our 7D at least 12 more times this season isn't true because Horford's not going to play in back to backs. And in the postseason. Horford fell off a cliff. I, I'm just not, I'm willing to believe that could happen again. Um, I'm not ready to decide that Sam Hauser, whom I really like, is suddenly a, a NBA quality rotation player after last season that just like patently wasn't the case and certainly not in the postseason. And Peyton Pritchard's a nice player, but he can't be the second guard because the problem for the Celtics is they have too many primary ball handlers now. So Pritchard doesn't handle the ball except for in garbage time, and as an off-ball threat, he either doesn't yet know where to put his body or he's he's too little to be a problem for opposing defenses. So last night he had, there's a sequence of like four straight plays where he, every play was in the wrong position, but because he was running with Tatum and Porzingis or Tatum, Porzingis and Holiday, he was just like the, clearly the fifth guy out there. And he ended up getting a cherry pick layup and the garden went nuts. And it was like, oh, Pritchard, hooray, Pritchard. But like the play-by-play suggests that like Pritchard was just racking up a good plus minus by default. He wasn't like actually contributing, and I just I don't really see how Boston staggers its stars and still needs Peyton Pritchard in the lineup. They need a player that is more effective off ball because I think Pritchard needs to be a point guard of a sort, and they don't need that from their eighth guy. So yeah, I'm super Lamar Stevens curious. I'm curious about Banton's side size. I don't know what he provides offensively. Uh, Joe keeps. They have enough blowouts that we have seen the bench, but practically speaking, we haven't really seen the bench play consequential minutes. So more, more bench, deep bench in particular, mixed with starters would be good. But I understand. I haven't. I haven't asked him about this. I don't know if people have asked him about this. Um, I understand that he wants to see which starting players work. Like if he's primarily concerned with staggering his stars and figuring that out. That is the first thing to iron out. So I get that he is not super concerned with Lamar Stevens right now. And he is more concerned with developing that chemistry between uh, noted neighbors, Jalen Brown and Chris Porzingus Porzingis. But um, I'm finding myself concerned and I like Pritchard, but he's the most useful salary of the bench players to trade and any trade oh, yeah. that might be. Um, Let's do a little bit of news, and then we've, we have extra time before Drew hops on. We can return to trade targets, grant TPE, and stuff like that. But let's keep it real. Between now and February, we're going to talk about that a lot. So it's not, it's not a chief concern. Although, uh, just as an aside, we have a little bit of news. Um, Scott Agnes, we learned this by way of Yossi Goslin of Hype. Scott Agnes is reporting that Tice, Daniel Tice, that Daniel Tice, could be close to a buyout and joining the Los Angeles Clippers. So something to keep an eye on that's been floated and now is maybe being reported, but nothing is imminent. Okay, back to the news. Dr. Quinn, you live in Mexico City, and you were visited by the Atlanta Hawks and the Orlando Magic. Talk to us about that experience, covering that, uh, and then also what you heard about a possible expansion team down in Mexico
2: sure so as far as the game itself i'm not going to go too in depth because i know that we don't have too many hawks or magic fans on the podcast or if we do it's news to me uh i did get a chance to talk to paolo banquero about his shoes the uh jason tatum one uh huevos banqueros which i thought was going to be this really awesome thing to ask him about mexican fiends breakfast sneaker right in Mexico. And unfortunately, uh, he didn't think of it. Jordan Brand didn't even think of it. Some person on Twitter thought of it. And that's the origin story. Yeah, so it was a little underwhelming. Good enough to write a little blurb about, but nothing nothing too crazy to write home about. Um, Got to talk to DeJounte Murray uh, about keeping in touch with Derek. And the most interesting conversation that I had was with... Um, during the address of Adam Silver, I got to talk to him about the the players' union turnover with Andre Iguodala. Turns out um, nobody's really sure what's going on with that, so that's definitely something interesting to keep an eye on. Thank God the CBA is in the rearview mirror. Uh, I'm not in any way impugning uh, Iguodala's ability to be the acting head of the Players Association, but what caused all this is still not entirely clear, so that's an interesting little tidbit. Uh, Also, what you were hinting at, every year that we have a Mexico City game, Adam Silva comes down and he talks about the possibility of expansion. And it's always been very, very vague, very, very future-oriented terms. And now, particularly again on the Celtics broadcast uh, for the Knicks last night where he came and sat down uh, where with the people who our guest today uh, usually works with, Uh, Mike Gorman and Brian Scalabrini and talked in very clear terms about an increasing likelihood of an actual NBA team here in Mexico, or, and this is the interesting part that seems to have mostly been missed by most of the media out there, that Silver talked about expanding the G League itself further into Latin America and or Mexico, which I think is an intriguing, I won't quite say half measure, but, part of the reason why the Capitani's exist, even if it's not like explicit is to see if the NBA can have a footprint in this country and have it work culturally, distance, elevation, all those other aspects that present challenges that are pretty much doable, but they needed to see that first. Right. So I think at this point we've arrived at one of the two major things that needed to happen, which was the new media rights deal being still unresolved in the CBA. I was just talking about those That we're halfway through that before expansion comes. It's still a long way off. There's not going to be a Mexico City team in the NBA before there's a team in Seattle and probably Las Vegas. But I would say now more than ever, I'm confident that they have plans to put a team here. But the question of when is still very fuzzy. I'm thinking it's probably going to be closer to 2030 than that.
0: Yeah, Justin, you and I had a conversation about this uh, last night, which is I... I bet the league would choose Mexico over Seattle, uh, maybe not over Vegas, because of everything you're identifying, what it unlocks. The problem is you have to find a group of billionaires who prefer to set up shop in Mexico. Um, I'd be very curious what like the legalese around that internationally owned team in another country looks like. I guess it occurs to me, I have no idea who owns the Raptors, so maybe the rules already exist. But we um, can put a pin in it. It was interesting that Silver was in-house last night. That was surprised surprise to me. I didn't get to talk to him or see him. He didn't
2: do that very often.
0: Yeah, maybe he was at that Akon show over the weekend. That's probably what it was. Um, just while we're doing this live, because the magic of live-to-tape podcasting, Porzingis is questionable on Wednesday. He banged. I, I'm proud of myself because I tweeted about it in the moment. He banged knees with Randall, and he looked really uncomfortable after. And he finished the game. He was a big part of the comeback. But he is questionable for Wednesday's game with a knee contusion. So we might get to learn more about this Celtics depth that I am a little more worried about, but good luck, Luke Cornette. You may or may not get a lot of minutes. I mean, I'm not entirely opposed to the idea of double
2: big being an impossibility because it did not work that great last time we played the Sixers, so.
0: Yeah, everything's a work in progress. I mean, integrating Drew Holiday and Porzingis On a single play might work, but, you know, understanding where your teammates like to be and need to be and can't be takes time. And so Horford and Porzingis might need time or maybe double bigs is for the birds. Speaking of birds, Justin Tatum, the father of Jason Tatum, just became the interim head coach of the Illawarra Hawks down in the NBL where uh, the National Basketball League is in Australia. Um, He's been with the Hawks since February. He's been a scout and a consultant He's coached for now 18 years um, at the high school and supporting the college level. So cool for Justin Tatum. Cool that Jason Tatum uh, told us he knew about that the day before, but the press release came out Sunday night. So just how sausage gets made. Um, These decisions take a while to hit press releases and then hit Twitter and then hit podcasts. Um, So if you just found out about this, you behind. Okay. We are, I think, out of well, I don't know. Last time I was on here, I ragged on the in-season tournament and the courts and the branding. Anyone have new in-season tournament takes? We definitely don't need to.
2: I don't hate it. I didn't hate it. I probably won't hate it. I check, interesting... me in, check me in three years.
0: I mean, I yeah, I the the courts as a like visual cue, hey, this is different, are interesting. They have generated a lot of buzz in a moment where keeping people's attention is hard. I was out to dinner Friday night for my mom's birthday. So with casual NBA fans or people who just like don't watch the NBA, explained what was going on because the television was on at the bar in the restaurant. And consensus was it was ugly, distracting, and unwelcome. So it could be alienating to casual fans. But a sample size of five, if, if we're hard-pressed to get you know, representative data on this podcast. I can't say that that's a trend line.
2: Okay.
1: Wake me up during the knockout round.
0: I have heard that tickets to those games are gobsmackingly expensive. So at the very least, people in Vegas seem excited. But if they're willing to pay for the, those F1 tickets are very expensive. How's that?
2: And that is why Mexico City will not be
0: getting a team before Las Vegas. Yeah. Huh. I don't know about Seattle. I don't know that some of the cities that exist in the NBA right now should continue to float teams. I don't know. That You're that... Gonna make some enemies. Be careful. I it's on the fans. Show up. It's on the television partners. <laughs> Sell some tickets.
1: Valley Sports. Where you at?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm curious question. about that too. Um, as someone who automatically had their league pass renewed before I could consider it, I'm curious about what that looks like. Okay, <laughs> we are clearly spinning our tires, <laughs> so let's pause. You won't, humble listener, have any... Well, there might be an ad break. I don't know when these show up. It's it's not my job. But uh, on the flip side of this sentence, you'll hear from the new voice of the Boston Celtics over at NBC Sports Boston, Mr. Drew Carter. See you then. Okay, as promised, we're welcoming in Drew Carter from NBC Sports Boston. We're going to hop into the Celtics lab. So, Drew, put on your safety goggles. Put on your gloves. Here we go. Um, Drew is a big cheese... We are very lucky to have him in Boston. Celtics fans are very lucky to have him on the horn. And Drew, I got to say, you're very lucky to learn from Mike Gorman this season, um, which we can get into. So as we like to do when big cheeses come around, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to swing things to Alex. Alex and Drew will have a little conversation. And Justin and Drew will have a little conversation. then if there's time, I'm going to ask Drew about the Minnesota Timberwolves. But let's start with Alex. Alex, take it away. Drew, welcome to the Celtics Lab podcast.
3: Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, great. Great to be here uh cam and i talked last night so alex and dr quinn take all the time you need i don't have to talk to cam anymore
1: yeah that seems reasonable i think we can kind of not talk to cam generally that's fine um thanks for being here drew really appreciate it and i've really enjoyed uh listening to your calls on games this year uh you really have a great voice for this and i mean that sincerely um so i want to start with just kind of your observations what you're seeing from the team uh it's been roughly 10 percent of the season up to this point um what, if anything, have you kind of learned about this team as far as just a big picture takeaways?
3: Well, I think we've learned this NBA season that big time additions don't always mesh right away. It's not always seamless. I think when you look through the course of the player empowerment era and the big time star movement era, which, you know, you could really sort of argue began with the Celtics big three in 08. Uh, But certainly with with player empowerment, you know, I think about when the Heat brought in Bosh and LeBron, and that seemed to be their decision. Um, I, I think over the course of that, you have examples of both ways where it works right away. Obviously, the Celtics are the best example of that in 2008, where it works after a year. The Heat made the finals in their first year, but kind of peed down their leg in the finals, even though that Dallas team was really good. And Dirk had one of the best individual runs we've ever seen. And then you have examples where it just doesn't work out Um, like any team James Harden is on and the Clippers are doing the same thing right now. So I think you you have three different outcomes for it. And, you know, to me, Milwaukee is a negative outcome and the Celtics are a positive outcome. I mean, early returns are extremely, extremely encouraging. I think one of the reasons why is they didn't add a number one or number two option. They already had those with two all NBA players in the Jays. They added two guys who are all star caliber players playing at that level who are malleable and can fit in anywhere. You know, my favorite stat coming into the season was Holiday and Porzingis were both top 10 in the league last year per synergy in creating off of as secondary ball handlers, right? Like in a catch and shoot situation or catch and drive situation, they were seven and eight. So it's just kind of fitting and literally fitting that those guys can fit in so well with this team. They don't need the ball in their hand on the primary action to be successful. And they're also great defensive players. So not really surprised that the pieces fit so well, but it has been a ton of fun to watch. The only thing I want is for them to be undefeated in the games. I call like they are in the games that Mike calls Gorman has <laughs> lost a game all season. I've lost two in a row. So hopefully we can get back on the right track here in Philly.
1: All right. You heard it here first Celtics. You got to do it for Drew. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, Uh, You mentioned surprises, um, and I think, you know, this team has surprised in a lot of positive ways, uh, at least for me. But I'm curious, um, have you seen anything this season that has been kind of a surprise for you? Either something that you kind of might uh, might be the case that isn't or something that's kind of reversed uh, your expectations? What do you see that has kind of surprised you about this season?
3: Mm. Man, you know, the fact that the team's really good is not – A surprise I think the fact that Jason Tatum leads the league in plus minus maybe is because you know Derek White has been the plus minus god uh for the Celtics in in I guess last year and uh the half season before that um Tatum you know it's not surprising right that's probably the wrong word but I do think it is a little bit you know Maybe it is surprising because he was already so good. And I think the hardest step, and you talk to former NBA players and coaches about this, the hardest step to take is from great to elite or however you want to describe that. I think Jason Tatum is there. He's in the top tier of NBA players. You know, To me, Jokic is in a tier of his own right now just because of what he did last season. I think he's earned that. But after that, I think you could argue for Tatum over anybody. Uh, And he's been, to me, the the best two-way player in the league. Through the first 10 or so games here so again not surprising because we know how good he is but it is cool to see him continue to ascend even though he was already you know a first team all nba caliber player and now here he is you know as the focal point of i think the best team in the league with the best rating in the league averaging 30 again he's added over 10 pounds of muscle he's added this post-up element to his game his defense i think is even better and it helps when you're playing with the guys that he's playing around I- i've also i've also been interested to see the rotations for missoula like there have been there have been some times where it seems like he's experimenting a little bit and that's what the regular season is for you know unless it's an in-season tournament game because you got to win all those but that's what the regular season is generally for like i remember last time we were here i think lamar stevens played four minutes in the first quarter we didn't see him for the rest of the game so he's he's trying some stuff out i think and i'm intrigued to see how this plays out especially when namias kata gets healthy you know, he was one of my favorite players to watch in the preseason. And I, I really want to see how he fits in to this rotation. So I guess there've been a couple things rotation wise, like reset playing here and there. I know he's dealt with some injuries as well. Uh, when Hauser checks in, when Tatum checks out in the first quarter, like all that rotational stuff to me is really interesting. And it's fun to kind of keep tabs on that during the show.
1: For sure. I think that's an interesting observation that, you know, it, it's kind of, it's something that gets lost in the flow of the game, but checking not just, like, what are the lineups when people come in, but, like, when do they come in? What is the pattern is an interesting and fun wrinkle to keep track of. Um, so you mentioned that Jason Tatum is looking a good bit stronger, and I feel like this Celtics team – that's one of this Celtics team's strengths, so to speak. Um nice. And I guess <laughs> – i'm curious um in your opinion what do you see as the biggest strength of this team and what do you see as the biggest weakness of this team so oh
3: man i mean the strength where do you even begin it's like trying to choose my favorite kid if i did have kids or Mm -hmm. ever had or ever planned to have kids that's a no on both but uh there's so there's so many strengths of the team it's hard to choose just one i think the just like they they're such a modern nba team it's amazing because The buzzwords, at least for me in modern NBA basketball are spacing and switchability and spacing, you know, has been around for as long as time, but especially in the last 10 years, we've really seen an emphasis on spacing. And this is something that Scal talks about a lot is how much the emphasis on spacing has improved offense in the NBA with the Celtics. Frankly, guys, I don't know what you do against that team because, Especially the starting five. And then when Horford comes in, all six of those dudes are really good shooters. Sam Hauser, when we, at the time of this recording, is as hot as anybody in the league. I think he's hit like 56, 57% since a, a quiet three-game start. Uh, Pritchard can shoot. Pretty much everyone in the rotation can shoot, um, especially those top six guys. So on offense, I just don't know what you do. And and when everybody can shoot, like you can't help on a Tatum post up. And if you do, you know, he's gotten so much better as a facilitator that it's it's impossible to deal with them. I think about when LeBron added that element to his game, and I'm sorry Celtics fans to invoke that name. I know we don't really like him very much around these parts, but when you think about when LeBron added that effective post up game, he went to another stratosphere. Um, and, and Tatum is kind of doing that same thing. And LeBron, we always knew about the vision and the passing. And Tatum's probably not on that level. Maybe he'll, he'll get there, but it's just impossible to defend them. And then you run a pick and roll with Porzingis. He pops. He can make it from thirty feet. You can have a guy playing perfect defense. It doesn't matter. He's seven foot three. He can shoot over the top of anyone. Wembenyama excluded, and we'll see them on New Year's Eve. So that'll be fun. But the offense is impossible to defend. But it's actually. I think they might be better defensively than offensively, which is pretty exciting to think about. Um, And watching the backcourt, you know, it's arguably the two best defensive guards in the NBA. I know we had a guy a couple of years ago who won defensive player of the year as a guard, but I think at this point, it's hard to argue for Marcus smart over either of those guys. Um, And so watching white and holiday play together is a treat. If you like good defensive basketball Porzingis protecting the rim and then oh, by the way, Tatum and Brown are elite wing defenders, um, and especially when the intensity is cranked up. So it's just like, it's a team full of strengths. Now, with that being said, if there is a weakness, you know, it's interesting. um, Cedric Maxwell, who calls the games on the radio with Sean Grandy, he was actually staying across the hall from me at the hotel in Philly, so maybe he's he's listening. Uh, But Max, we were sitting down at the media center in Brooklyn before the Nets game. And we were just talking and he's like, what do you? what's your biggest concern with the team? I'm like, first of all, I appreciate you asking, but why are you asking me? I should be asking you. Like, you're the guy who actually knows what you're talking about. But Max is such a nice guy. You know, if you've talked to him, he's like, that's just kind of how he is. And I was like, I guess injury. Because um, there ha- there are a couple of guys who have had some injury issues in the past, I think, especially about Porzingis. But anytime your biggest concern with a team in any sport is injury, that's a really good sign because anybody can get injured. And so I, I think that there's really nothing you could point to with the Celtics that's an on paper or really in practice weakness. The only thing that could concern you is if, if somebody goes down.
1: Um, I mean, love this, love the glowing praise that we've been heaping on all aspects of the Celtics. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to do. So I appreciate you having uh, having you here, Drew, and uh, doing that. Um, I guess I'm curious, and then I'll kind of swing things over to JQ here. Um, So I think the goal for this team has been stated pretty clearly by just about everybody. I think everybody involved knows that this is a year where the expectation is banner, right? We're trying to hang another one. Um, But, you know, the Celtics recently, as you mentioned, uh, recently had a defensive player of the year. Uh, They recently had a six man of the year. Um, they've been racking up some hardware over the course of these past couple of years, not related to a title, but uh, Here we go where are we
3: going, Alex? You're going to ask individual me if going to win MVP? Uh Well, I, I guess I'm curious.
1: Yeah. Do you have any Celtics who you think are your most likely candidate for season long hardware?
3: You know, it's interesting because I think Tatum for MVP is a pretty decent bet right now because uh, I do expect them to get the one seed in the East, you know, it's, it's hard aside from that because defensive player of the year, as we know, almost always goes to a big man. Mm. And I think if it were to go to a guard, they'd have to be clearly the best defensive guard in the NBA. And we have the two best. So it's like, how, how do you differentiate between white and holiday? So for defensive player of the year, I think that'd be hard. Clutch player of the year, I could see going to Tatum. And that's a new one that's like totally unquantifiable. Although I guess Darren Fox won it last year because he like led the league in clutch points. So maybe it, it's actually the easiest to quantify. But I could see Tatum doing that. The only issue is, I don't know how many clutch situations they're going to play in because they're mm-hmm. going to blow everybody out. But how about this for totally out of left field? Let's do how it. How about Missoula for coach of the year? Because,
1: yeah, baby, let's go. <laughs> because
3: that award, I think even more so than MVP, Is narrative driven. And for Missoula to be in his mid 30s, still one of the youngest coaches in the league, I think the youngest, even younger than Hardy, who left us to go to the Jazz. Thanks, Danny Ainge. But I think Missoula, if he leads them to a one-seed, maybe people would be like, ho hum, whatever. It doesn't matter. They were two seed last year. We'll see what they do in the playoffs. Like, you know, he's still unproven, at least at that point. But I don't know, man. If they win 65 and Missoula is Less cantankerous in press conferences, maybe than he was last year. (laughs) I think that would go a long way, and it really does seem different to me this year. I know he had that exchange with Gary Washburn from the Globe, but to me that that was actually funny, and I thought it was lighthearted. And so, can I tell the story,
0: Drew, real quick? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Last last night, we're sitting for the post game press conference. This is less than a week removed from that exchange. I think everyone knows we're talking about Missoula. Gary's sitting in the middle of the press corps. Missoula walks into the press corps and stands with Gary and tells him all about how Baylor just won a basketball game, shooting only one three-pointer or making only one three-pointer and gives him like a 90 second synopsis of the game and how they won the game without hitting three-pointers. So not only was Missoula uh, maybe over his skis with that bit, but he doubled down on the bit as hard as he possibly could, which was (laughs) kind of amazing yeah Uh, (laughs) Gary was like wow thanks for sharing
3: (laughs) I just I just I love it man I think it's actually fun when coaches and reporters can have a little repartee and I think people read that as Missoula being defensive and a little prickly to me it was not Um, I, I think he's a lot different from last year and he was open about that before the season like look when you get thrown into a situation like he did couple days before training camp, you become the head coach of the Boston effing Celtics after you were on the back bench last year. It's impossible to overstate how much pressure that probably put on him. And I think he, he might've gone into a shell a little bit, didn't really know how to handle it. He said, didn't know what it was like to have people give a crap about what I was saying and what I thought. And now he's had a season under his belt. And to me, he seems different in press conferences. To me, he seems like he's being himself. So all that to say, Missoula seems different. If the team wins a bunch and the vibes are really good, which they are, maybe he could get some love for coach of the year. So that's like the one that's way out of left field.
1: No, I like it. I'm all about it. I think it would be an extremely hilarious thing for Joe Missoula to win coach of the year personally. It'd be great. I'd be really looking forward to that press conference in particular. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm all in. Uh, Drew, this was fabulous. Thank you. I'm going to swing you over to Dr. Quinn and fellas. I have to get moving. So uh, it's been a blast. Thanks for uh, taking the time to chat with me, uh, with us, Drew and uh, JQ, Cam. I think you guys can take it from here. Uh, Don't, don't, don't crash the bus.
0: Make some good music. Wouldn't dream of it.
1: (laughs) All right. See you fellas.
0: See ya.
2: So I don't know if you have heard Drew, but he's in a band. They are on tour and that's why he's leaving us. Yeah, cool. they are doing a sound test. Uh we were we were checking to see if the bass was gonna come through and, and kind of screw up his, his section of the interview. So thankfully it did not. Uh but that's his gig. We brought you to talk about your gig. Uh
0: just a nice transition.
2: <laughs> I I yeah, I'm a pro, what can I say?
0: Uh,
2: so one of the people who actually helped found you know one of the people who helped found this podcast um he went to Syracuse with you I'll talk to you a little bit about that later um but one of the other co-founders of this podcast when we were absolutely terrible and I'm surprised anyone listened to us uh was listening to the call and was somehow out of the loop and did not even know that you had been hired and he's like who is this person on the call? And I was like just wait a minute. Just give him a chance listen to what he does. I know you're gonna like him. And sure enough, he did. So you are connecting with some of our, our gnarlier uh, fans <laughs> as, as, as well out there. Uh, so I just want to, you to know you're winning our over the hearts and minds, which is the, the key of the battle. But on the other side of the equation that we don't see, we want to know how is the job going for you in general?
3: Well, I'm really glad to hear that, Justin, and, and thank you for sharing that. I, I know there was probably a lot of that, you know, anger and angst and skepticism and pitchforks and torches being brought out when someone heard someone other than Mike Gorman describing the action. And and I totally get that. Like Mike's been doing it for over 40 years and you know, I'm not trying to be Mike. I'm not trying to succeed or replace Mike. I'm trying to follow Mike. And I know, I know how, how big of a responsibility that is. And so I put a lot of pressure on myself because of that. Cause I know the relationship people have with the announcers and the broadcast. And I know how, how, legends have filled that role in the past, you know, going back to Johnny most. So to hear that is, is really encouraging. And, and I appreciate you saying that the job has been sick, dude, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's an absolute dream job. Like, I mean, I hopped on this pod right after getting to the hotel and, you know, I was on the same plane and bus as like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. How cool is that? And like walk by Joe Missoula, Sam Cassell, Charles Lee, et cetera, to get to my seat on the plane so that's amazing um beyond the like holy f factor of you know being around nba players and coaches and walking into a hotel and seeing you know dozens of fans lined up for autographs outside every place we go basically beyond that it's just really fun to be in the mix of the nba and you know really feel like you can dive in like i got League Pass, you know, for the first time this year. I never really felt like I needed it. Most of my job at ESPN is college sports, so you know that was kind of my focus. And getting League Pass and just dialing in on the league is just is so fun. And it it really it keys you up for a game like we have here in Philly. I mean, the Sixers are smoking hot. They're the hottest team in the league. Tyrese Maxey is playing like an All NBA guy. I think if you look at some advanced metrics or like MVP ladder, he's like top five in MVP and wow. Embiid is right there too. Like he, He's been incredible. And so to have a game like that and just to have a ticket to get in the building, you know, let alone a vessel for sharing my enjoyment and experience with the fan. That's just really special. Um, and I've always wanted to be the voice of a team because like I said, with Mike and, you know, dating back to Johnny most, The relationship with the fan base is really intimate you know it's it's just different from doing a national broadcast you get a chance to feel like you're speaking directly to the fan and you it never feels more real when you say like thanks for letting us into your living room like I can I can imagine people all across Massachusetts like flipping it on and our voices are in their house that's cool and again that's a responsibility and, and people put a lot of faith in us so that's why I feel you know pressure but also excitement to do this job it's just it's really really neat and the fact that the team is so damn good helps a lot like your buddy from Q's while I I appreciate you saying that I appreciate him saying nice things no one's gonna bitch about the announcer when the team's winning by 30 so that's been a real plus so
2: what's something that you knew or that you didn't know before that you know now after having been on the job in Boston for a little bit before you answer, I just want to let you know with a team like Boston, it's not just in, in Massachusetts. I'm in Mexico city.
3: Oh, Hey now. Yes. League passes worldwide, baby. I love it. Uh That's cool. I've always wanted to go to Mexico city. My sister has been a couple of times, but when I make it down there, I'll hit you up. Oh, so what I, I guess what I've learned that I didn't know before um is I guess, that Mike Gorman is exactly the dude off the air that you see on the air. You know, there's a reason he's so beloved in Boston and, and also nationwide. Like we played the Knicks last night and Mike Breen, there's a reason he goes across the floor to give Mike Gorman a huge hug and then does the same thing after the game. There's a reason everybody loves this dude. There's a reason when we go out for a drink, he talks to the lady behind the bar for five minutes because they go way back and she loves him as much as everybody does. You know, he's, he is just such a cool dude and he's so down to earth and he's really taken me under his wing. And the cool thing guys is I think Mike and I do the job very differently. Um, he's obviously from the area. I'm not. So we, we sound different off the bat. Um, He's been doing it for a lot longer than I have. And he's probably a little more understated than I am. I probably try to do a little too much sometimes because I'm having so much fun and I might need to tone it down. But even though Mike and I are pretty different on the air, I would say, um, he has been extremely supportive and has given me some really, really helpful advice that I think has helped smooth the transition a little bit. Again, I know it might be jarring for some people to flip it on and not hear Mike because that's what we've known for four decades plus. Uh, but he has been amazing. And so is his wife, Terry. And I actually heard that, and, and Terry was in the business for a long time in, in sports media. So she knows everybody as well. And she's amazing and super sharp. What I heard was now I was at the game at the garden, so I wasn't watching the broadcast, but when Adam Silver came on, Mike was saying that Adam basically spent the entire time talking about Terry Gorman. It's yep. <laughs> so like some sometimes talking about Mike Gorman and then a lot talking about Terry, and then Scal was asking him about like what he said about color analyst talking like he wants it to be more like nfl so i need to go back and watch the replay Uh, but there's a reason why mike and terry gorman are so beloved and so it's been really cool to kind of see that from the inside
2: talked about an expansion team in my home city too so i'm uh, pretty excited about that but uh that's not what
3: we're here to talk about Wait, wait Uh, wait hold on hold on i thought it was going to be vegas and seattle
2: it is going to be vegas and seattle uh yeah. well he hasn't he didn't explicitly say that but that is the general assumption that i think it's correct uh yeah. and some conversations i've had with some league people and some other people uh connected to know about this sort of thing the well first of all silver's discussion of it has been more concrete than it ever has been in the past uh it's always very 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 vague when he's talked about it in Every year when they come here for NBA, the, the Mexico City games, uh, it's obviously a topic of conversation. But this year, he really sounds like it's something that the NBA wants to happen. But there are still several hurdles uh, in terms of logistics, uh, which the Capitanes, the G League team here, has helped iron out. But there's still a ways to go. So big detour. But
0: uh, I think an interesting. Wait, can, I say, can I share two thoughts on that? We, yeah. First of all, we talked about this in the first half of the pod. So hopefully the listeners really care about this. I think the Vegas, um, Seattle thing misses the point. Point number one: Why can't a team relocate, not be an expansion team? Hello, sad one of those Pelicans. Point number two: Why can't hey they don't don't a... you mess with my NOLA people? Anyway, I love no well whatever. Um, point number two: Why can't you add more than two teams? Fair point. They usually do them in even numbers, but
2: they haven't always. So could happen.
0: Add four. Add one. To that Pittsburgh. would be pretty sweet.
3: i would just have to make sure I have my passport. So because that, that's that been kind of a snafu this week. So we're, we're going to Toronto. So Uh-oh. but we'll have it smoothed over by uh, by Thursday when we fly there. So we're good. And then I could go to Mexico City as well. So hopefully there's a team there. Cool.
2: So you've basically given me a Mike Gorman story. If you have a better one you want to share, uh, please, by all means. But give me a scal story working with him. <laughs> Besides El Fuego. No, Porque no, no necesitamos más malas traducciones
3: de él. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. I can I can tell that you are uh, you are fluent in this, the native language in Mexico City. I like that. I can survive. Um, well, here's the thing with with Scal. He does so much hilarious stuff that I actually started to write some of it down because if I ever want to write a book one day, um, mm-hmm. there will be an entire chapter on Scal. You know, the first, I guess my first day of work at this job was media day where they hadn't announced that I was joining the team yet. So it was kind of like a clandestine, let's sneak Drew in here. Not that anybody gives a shit or knows who I am. Sorry. I hope I can swear on this. No, you can swear. Yeah. Okay, good. Not that anybody gives a fuck who I am, but they, they kind of had like, they wanted it to be a secret. So they kind of brought me in a back door and Scal and I took some photos together, um, And they didn't go anywhere until the next day when we announced it. So anyway, I got there. I got there when I was told to get there Let the record show when I was told to get there. But like my boss had to come let me in because I obviously didn't have the right credentials or anything. So by the time I got in there, it was like a couple minutes after two when we took when we're going to take the photos. And Scal's like, wow, like your first day cruising in fashionably late. Like, that's how you roll. Okay, cool. We're going to have to trade you for Noah Eagle. Uh, and for those who don't know, Noah Eagle was my college roommate, Eagle? one of my best friends. Uh, Ian Eagle's son. Yeah. Not Ian. Ian. It's confusing. I will tell you that himself. Yeah, I know. You can speak multiple languages, but no one can pronounce Ian's name. It's okay.
2: We we have a uh, long history of screwing up people's names on this. <laughs> uh, blanket apology to all of you.
3: Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm sure he would not be offended because everybody does it. But Ian's son, Noah, one of my best friends. He was the radio guy for the Clippers for four years. He's now working with the Nets, actually. So Ian is their main play-by-play guy. Then they have Ryan Rucco when Ian can't do it. And then Noah's going to fill in occasionally for the Nets on yes. Um, so anyway, Scal knows Noah. And he's like, we're going to have to trade you for Noah Eagle, man, if you keep coming in late. I'm like, dude, you're going to have to throw in some pick swaps and cash considerations if you want to pull that off. Uh, but that like, that's kind of how it is with Scal. You know, he, he You can tell he accepts you and is cool with you if he's giving you shit, giving you a hard time. And from what I've been told and sort of what I've experienced already, that's a very Boston way to act. Even though Scal's from Washington state, he's obviously an adopted son for Boston. And clearly that's one of the reasons he fits in there is because he's going to be taking the piss to use an Australian term. He is going to be giving you a hard time and that's actually a good sign. And I've really enjoyed that. And so I'm trying to find the, right line where you know i'm showing i'm showing respect and i'm deferring to him because he's the guy who played in the league he's the guy with the ring he's the guy who's been here for a decade and calling celtics games you know since i was in high school but also giving him shit because like that's how we are off the air you know so we're we're having fun with that and it's cool because you know that's how el fuego started Uh, is when he messed that up and I'm like my man you're one letter off but the meaning has changed between El Fuego and En Fuego so stuff like that it's just it's really fun to work with him he's made me feel welcome like from the jump even from when we auditioned together
2: so I've got a feel for what the best aspects of your job is what are some of the worst parts of your job
3: well guys I spent a lot of time online Um, and you know, I, I pretty much see everything that people say, uh, luckily my Twitter handle is pretty obscure. So I'm sure people are tweeting at the wrong Drew Carters and I apologize to those guys. Um, but you know I do, I, I hear it from people and, and again, I get it. Like, and I I honestly think that most, most of the stuff people have said, and especially directly to me has been incredibly nice and supportive. And I'm super grateful for that. But like I said, you know, I mean, I know how big of a deal the job is. I know how prestigious it is, and I know how important it is to get this right. Not necessarily because I want people to like me, although that is true. I do want people to like me. That's a human nature thing. But more so because I don't want to at all diminish people's experience watching their favorite team. In fact, I want to enhance it. That's really the name of the game, you know, to entertain, to educate, teach people something about the Celtics they might not have known coming into the night maybe make someone feel something depending on the situation, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. Um, And so when people aren't liking what we're doing, if we take a chance that, you know, might fall flat a little bit, that is not the best feeling. Uh, But that's kind of what we sign up for, you know, and that's like a pretty small complaint for what is really the coolest job in the world. I mean, this is, it was described to me once as the toy department of life by someone else in the industry. And that's, absolutely true so it's really it's it's hard to pick like the worst part of the job because really there isn't like my work is researching stats basically and watching basketball and talking to people about basketball and I'd be doing that stuff anyway I would just be doing that at my other nine to five job and I'd be ignoring that and doing this but I'm lucky that it's my real job so that's pretty cool I
2: always really awesome when someone gives you money to do this sort of thing Uh, (laughs) i I, I, i'm nowhere near on your level and i'm still amazed anyone wants to do that for, (laughs) for me so uh speaking of your gig and how it works this season at least you are only covering the road games what do you do for the home games just for the curious among us and like what's your routine for preparation in general like
3: Yeah. So home games, I'm going to try to go to most of them, or at least all all the ones I can. I still do work for ESPN. So, you know, I'm traveling a lot for them as well. Uh, But when I'm calling a game for ESPN, I mean, the Celtics are also playing, I'm monitoring that bad boy. And sometimes I'll have the second screen up in the booth uh, just to keep tabs on it, you know? Um, But I was at the game the other night, that's where Cam and I saw each other in the media room. And I'm trying to go to as many games as possible. I'm planning to move to boston in a couple weeks hopefully by the end of the month i'll be settled in and you know i guess technically i don't have to do that because i am doing the road games but i just want to be there you know i want to be in the mix i want to talk to people i want to go i want to go to like pressed cafe in needham and talk to celtics fans like see someone in a green shirt and strike up a conversation i want to do that that stuff excites me um i feel like it'll make me better at the job too if i can you know if i have an off day i can go over to practice or try to meet up with somebody from the team potentially and just feel more embedded because i think the more i do that the better the broadcasts are going to be as far as what my prep looks like um i have these these boards or these charts where it's basically the names and the numbers of everybody on both teams with their heights their weights their hometowns their ages their years in the nba sometimes how they were acquired um where they were drafted, stuff like that, team stats, player stats, career highs, stuff I'm marking off during the game, fouls, challenges, um just stuff like that so I can have it all in one place, you know, cuz I'm not smart enough to keep that all in the right filing cabinets in my brain. So I need to have it all in front of me. But the thing about the NBA is stuff moves so fast, and this is actually a piece of advice I got from the aforementioned Ian, don't call me Ian Eagle. Uh he said the NBA The guys are so skilled and stuff happens so fast that you have to be ready at all times for the coolest thing you've ever seen to happen in a flash. And so you can't really look down. So like I have all these notes in front of me and I put that together myself. But really, it's about what you know up here as opposed to what you have down on the table because you can't really look down aside from in a commercial break. That's when you can find something. Hey, I want to tell this story And Then you hit your producer and director and talk back. And we work with Paul Lucy and Jim Edmonds, who are total legends and been doing this for a long time. And they're amazing at their job. Um, but that's when you can kind of direct us to a different story during the game. You just there's so much going on that you just have to be watching it. Um, and so a lot of that a lot of the prep really is about what i can remember just from finding it and to me if i find something interesting enough that it sticks with me then it probably will be interesting for the viewer um and so if if i write something down and i forget it like not the end of the world because there's probably a reason i didn't retain it um so that's kind of what it looks like but it is it is pretty intensive you know when we're playing we have these four games in seven days like it's kind of a grind. You get all the stuff in in one spot, just so I feel like I have it if I need that, you know, safety life preserver to go back to. Like, hey, what's Tyrese Maxey's career free throw percentage? Okay, got it, because that could be something that turns out to be super relevant. Plus, like studying the rule book. I mean, doing college basketball stuff's different in the NBA, um, and so there's there's a lot that goes into it. I don't just show up and yell into a microphone. I think that's what people think the job is. Um, but that's, that's not how it is for most of us
2: kind of figured. And I'm sure at least some of that you picked up at Syracuse. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Well, I don't know how it is for you, but I went to this little tiny 800 person uh, liberal arts college in Florida, which is famous for reasons I'm not even going to get into on the show right now, because it's all political and this is not what we're talking about. But when I saw that we had someone on the Celtics beat, who also went to this little school called New College, Hunter Felt, if you've ever met him. Um, I was very excited because there's meeting any of us anywhere is kind of a miracle in life, honestly. Uh, but for you, you're surrounded by people from Syracuse. So what's that like? And do you guys ever talk about it?
3: Yeah. <laughs> We never talk about it. I'm I'm sure you've never heard anyone from Syracuse mention the fact. Oh, never, ever. (laughs) No, no, we're not obnoxious at all. Um, Yeah, man, everything I learned about broadcasting, I learned there. In fact, when I went to school there, I knew I wanted to work in sports media, but I I really wanted to be a writer. Um, I grew up reading Bill Simmons. I shouldn't say grew up, but like Grantland is what I spent a lot of time when I was in high school reading. I'd come home, I'd watch PTI, Around the Horn, read Grantland. The guys on those TV shows were writers, still are. Grantland was great sports journalism. I took a journalism class in high school. That's sort of when I decided I wanted to do it. I watched All the President's Men, and that was like my favorite movie. It's where I decided I wanted to really pursue this. So anyway, wanted to be a writer, got to Syracuse, met the right people, went to the right meeting, fell in love with doing radio, and then that evolved into doing TV. Um, but, yeah, there are a lot of us. I'm sure it's really annoying for people to hear about it all the time. Frankly, I don't really like bringing it up because I know it it sort of gets monotonous. Um, and I think there might be a reputation that Syracuse people start to sound alike. I hope that's not the no, case. No, not know? at all. Honestly,
2: y'all are some of the most diverse group of people I can think of in terms of your coverage, how you do it. Not at all.
3: Well, I, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. because. Like I I really love being at these games and working with the people I work with. And I hope that comes through. I hope it doesn't sound like, you know, a guy who was, you know, traditionally trained to do broadcasting at Syracuse. Like, no, it's just, I'm really, I'm a fan at heart. That's why we all get into this as you guys know. So yeah, that, but that place was incredible. I got, I was there for four years and I I probably was calling a game or hosting a show or reporting something By the time I got to junior and senior year, basically every day. Um, And and that's that's how you get good at this. You know, you just you got it. Not to say I have it figured out, but you just have to rep over and over and over again. It's like anything in life, you know, playing golf, playing basketball, playing an instrument. You just got to do it over and over again. And then eventually you'll figure it out. It's like the 10,000 hours thing. So I don't know where I am on the 10,000 hour scale, but I can tell you for sure. I wasn't getting hammered at a tailgate before a Syracuse football game. I was putting a suit and tie on, printing my charts, getting ready to go call it. And as much as I might have missed out on some of the traditional college experience, wouldn't change a thing because I feel like it prepared me for the real world. Well, I really appreciate all of that uh
2: but i know speaking of 10,000 things uh in the land of 10,000
3: lakes uh yeah. my co-host has some stuff to ask about as well. Incredible. Incredible segue again from JQ. Uh, I'm, a, I'm
2: a pro. What can i say? That
3: yeah. is is that what the doctorate
0: is in, Cam? Is <laughs> segueing
2: Anthropology. Uh, it would be more useful in my current career if it was.
0: <laughs> yeah, true. This is a professional outlet that you've found yourself on. I see um, that. Yeah. I'm just going to pepper you with some rapid fire questions because i know you gotta eat dinner and also i'm just gonna invite you back on the podcast later this season sure. how's that? okay perfect um first of all i went to the university of pittsburgh and i just bit my tongue so hard it started bleeding how's that um
3: uh, <laughs> come on bro this isn't the big east days we're not rivals anymore i got a fan okay yeah yeah i this hate you the, but uh
0: cam we're fine <laughs> yeah Pitt hasn't done anything to deserve <laughs> hatred yeah. since the 70s okay um Drew, I'm going to start with serious-ish and like descend into the silly. Who mm-hmm. is your favorite sports broadcaster of all time?
3: Jason Benetti is my favorite. Um, he's the voice of the Chicago White Sox. Actually, he was for almost 10 years. Just moved over to the Detroit Tigers, Whoa. Benedict Arnold style. Then, uh, in intra-division move from my guy Benetti, uh, he is a Syracuse guy. Shocker! Actually, went to law school at Wake Forest one of the smartest dudes I've ever met. And he's kind of the guy who convinced me to try play by play. I okay. told him it was my freshman year, I said, I don't think I'm cut out for that. Don't think my brain moves fast enough. Don't think I have the voice for it. Don't think I can do it. And he was like, just try it. Like go into a studio with no one around, find a YouTube video, like a bootleg NBA broadcast and just try it. And so I would open up my laptop fire up garage band, record the worst play by play tape you've ever heard in your life with no natural sound or anything. It was horrible. But he would listen to it. And he'd send me notes. And we would do that every week, sometimes multiple times a week. And that's, that's how I got into this. Um, And I, I really don't think I could have learned from anybody better. If you listen to him call a game, you can listen to him on Fox. He does college football and college hoops. I really think he is the best in the biz. He's got an incredible voice. He is so smart. He's so prepared. Um, and he he's I would say my number one and number one mentor, but there are so many guys like Mike Tarico, Ion Eagle, Bob Costas, you know, mm-hmm. Dick Stockton, Mike Breen, freaking Mike Gorman, who I'm learning from now. Like I'm really lucky to get to learn from some of the best to ever do it.
0: I propose nothing else. Mike Gorman really is like one of the world's nice people. <laughs> he's so good. He's just he's <laughs> so good. I I mean that's something I appreciate uh about so i'm a high school teacher during the day which means i hang out with people who don't want to be there and then at night i go to celtics games and everyone wants to be there that's cool Um, so it's such a funny yin and yang experience you go from so dispassionate to quite passionate um i'm going to close with the wolves so we'll get to the wolves okay what's your what's your favorite word in the english language i'll I'll give you one so don't listen to me i'm going to talk this is so you can stall my favorite word is gubernatorial um, oh, it just it's not spelled you thank you uh it's you would never expect it it's polished It's clunky comes around once every few years um, so, so yeah.
3: gubernatorial is a great word and, and i actually love it so much that i don't call anybody a governor i call everybody a gubernator which <laughs> to me Ooh. is just a much better <laughs> much better name for a position of power god There are so many good ones. Um, I'm going to go with one that's not like super fun to say, but there is a big reason for it. I'm actually looking at it right now. The word is halcyon, H-A-L-C-Y-O-N, which sort of means like idyllic, like think about a golden era, you know, era of happy feelings, whatever. It's a halcyon age. And the reason I say that is because it's the first word on my note in my phone of words. When I started, when I really like, started to give a shit about the English language. Um, I started writing these words down. And I there are hundreds of words in here. And I have not memorized all of them, but Halcyon was the first one. And for some it's 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 amazing like how life works when like I made a passive commitment. I want to improve my vocabulary. And most of the time when you make a passive commitment to something, it doesn't end up happening. It's like, I want to lose weight this year. Like yeah. have a totally not specific goal it usually doesn't work out but for some reason I just like fell in love with writing these words down and Halcyon was the first one so I, I'm gonna go with that one although one of the most recent ones I wrote down was Chez Douvre, which is a French word looks like Chef douvre. Chez Duvres masterpiece considered the greatest work of a person's career it's like a magnum opus so it's like Jason Tatum's Chez Duvres I was gonna
0: say that was the that 60 point game
3: Or the 50-point game in Game 7 against Philly, so you can pick and choose there. But I love words, so people will probably get tired of me dropping in, like, SAT words during Celtics games this year.
2: Let me recommend some light reading, some sociolinguistics. John Austin's How to Do Things with Words. It Will Change Your Life.
3: John Austin? How to do things with words. Is that Austin with an I or an E?
0: I, I believe i'm writing this down wow this is fun so justin is my editor at usa today and he always says your writing needs to be understood by a phd and someone who didn't go to college and so yes uh, we are sparing with our fancy vocabulary but every so often it's fun you gotta, to you gotta
2: challenge people occasionally
0: so see if you can get healthy on into the into the call tomorrow night um okay i have two things i'm going to challenge you with first sure. you're a prose pro so on the spot give us a celtics lab bumper we're not gonna we're not gonna rip it we're not gonna borrow it but you're queuing up the celtics lab podcast let's hear it
3: what do you wait hold on hold on hold on before we do this what do you want what do you want me to say is there like a script
0: no you're a pro figure it out
3: <laughs> okay um i think i know what that is a bumper um all right like let's the, like
0: welcome back to the show intro
3: okay welcome back to celtics live
0: your it's home mad. for all Celtics things loud. Celtics.
3: <laughs> I don't even know. Is there a slogan? I might have just stepped on somebody else's catchphrase, but I don't know. Yeah, okay. we're gonna
0: get we're gonna get sued. Okay. Yeah. Drew Carter, you cover the Boston Celtics. You the voice of the Boston Celtics for NBC Sports Boston. You are you've got New England roots, you've got the Bona Fides. You were really passionate about the Celtics last night when we chatted, but you're a tortured Timberwolves fan. So To close your segment here on the Celtics Lab podcast, give us 30 seconds on the Timberwolves.
3: Okay, so 30 seconds on the clock starts now. To give people an idea of what it's like to be a Minnesota fan growing up when I did, I would walk around downtown Minneapolis. There would be posters featuring Rashad McCants. That was our, like, draw. That was our go-to guy, Rashad McCants. Good at Carolina, not that good in the NBA. Not good enough to be your number one guy. (laughs) Meal deal, ticket, Pepsi, hot dog, five bucks total. And this is, that would have made sense in like 1912 when people are like, a gallon of milk was 12 cents. Aha, see? Nope. This was 2008, probably. The team was a joke. Um, and so I sort of became numb to my sports teams losing. Now, with that being said, I do think the Timberwolves this year are scary. And we saw that. I mean, they beat us. And that's say you know, like I'm in on the Celtics now, guys. I said they beat us. Yep. yep. Right. Us, for me, used to be the Timberwolves. Now it's the Celtics. But I still, I do have a soft spot for the Wolves, and obviously Minnesota is going to be my hometown forever. That team is scary, man. I don't think the pieces even fit that well, uh, especially in the modern NBA. But they're winning a shit ton of games. Their defense is amazing. Anthony Edwards is a freaking killer. Um, and, like, I-, I got a tweet or two about, like, You're overdoing it with the Anthony Edwards stuff, dude. Like we get it. You're from Minnesota. It's like, are you guys watching the game? The guy's insane. And then, and then he went and he did the same shit against the Warriors actually even better in that game than he was against us. Beautiful. Yeah. So like, if, if you don't get it with Anthony Edwards at this point, I'm sorry. So that team is good. I think in the playoffs, when, you know, the game slows down, Gobert has shown a tendency to get played off the floor in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's going to be a problem. I don't believe in towns as a, a leader of a team but when you have edwards i think they have a great coach i love mcdaniel's and conley and some of their ancillary pieces they're going to win a lot of games they could be a top four seed really I, I don't think they'll challenge in the playoffs i think denver's too good but after denver they might be the second best team in the west right now
0: cool yeah there is no overselling the ant-man he's so entertaining and he's only like 22 right
3: he's like that.
0: Incredible. So everything, everything's
3: a- gravy a great actor by the way yes he
2: is yeah i was surprised by that
3: yeah hustle was an awesome movie someone actually sent me a a dm cam because you posted that photo on twitter of my phone case yeah which is kg and randy moss how fitting is this by the way that i'm moving to boston now because both those guys moved to boston around the same time and had their best seasons of their career um but someone sent me there's a cartoon artist i shouldn't say cartoon artist but a, a guy who draws Minnesota sports figures and he's super talented. And he, he recreated this with Justin Jefferson and Anthony Edwards oh, like cool. a, couple a couple of years ago, but the Vikings recently posted it on their team Instagram and he sent it to me and he's like, looks like you need a new phone case. And I'm like, that is sick, but I need to get a Boston themed one now. So if you have any ideas, I've
0: got a Celtics lab away. sticker right here with your name on it. How's that?
3: Oh, well, that'll work.
0: Yeah, next you time know,
2: put it, put it through the uh, HDMI. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> this thing is uh, connecting to. Amazing <laughs> podcasting, Cam.
0: Yeah, this has yeah. <laughs> oh, your perfect. name on it, my friend. Um, good. Alright, Drew Carter. We are so happy to have you on our podcast. NBC Sports Boston is happy to have you. The Celtics are happy to have you. And I can't wait to keep talking about the Celtics, because like you said, they're an easy team to talk about. But until then, you've got to go hang out with Scal and eat dinner and then get ready for the Sixers game. We've got to solicit likes and subscriptions to this podcast right now and then uh, justin gonna edit it so please like and subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already otherwise we've been talking to drew carter of NBC sports boston drew i will see you before long everyone else thank you for listening and adios